I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 39, the Luke Brown, or better known as Luca Marone episode. So we're we're getting close to 40, and that means more and more players that you've heard of on a less than frequent basis over the years. But also, while doing my research, my, I might add that this is one of the numbers, number 39, that Claudio Marchisio wore when he was called up from the Primavera prior to his uh, emergence in the squad and said it be. So we we poke fun of Luke Brown a little bit, but a future Juventus uh, mainstay wore it back in the day. So obviously this week we've got a lot going on, as is the norm these days. Unlike last week, it was actually a good week, so as, as we... Signed off the podcast last week. We were hoping to be in a better mood, and I think we're in a better mood just on on the fact that Juventus won the day before we're recording. So let me bring in the other folks that are in a good mood. We've got Sam Lopresti. Hello, Sam. Don't call it a comeback yet. (laughs) Yet. Because it's not really one until a lot of other things happen. (laughs) But (laughs) step one? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Yet. We've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. (laughs) Hey, what's up? And um, can I just commend you, Danny, for the incredible amount of homework you do on uh, these shirt numbers? I mean, that's some some deep dive data right there. So well done. Well, thank you for the compliment. It's basically just pulling up the same website before we record each week. So I mean, (laughs) it it sounds very. I mean, I was like, damn, like you knew like Marquezio's first number. I was like, man, well done. So yeah, well done, nonetheless. Thank you. Thank you, Chucks. I appreciate it nonetheless. And we've got Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Happy to be here as always. You know, th- that'd be a cool, you know, vintage, obscure jersey to own, wouldn't it? Like a like a Abs- Marquisio weird number one. That, that'd Abs- be pretty cool. Absolutely. There's also one other number because he wore 8, 19 are the two numbers that he's most well known for. And then obviously 39, like we just mentioned. But there's one other even more obscure number that he wore even before number 39. So we'll, we'll get to that in uh shoot. We'll get to that around our official one year mark of the podcast. If I'm doing my math correctly. So Ooh. we might have to wait a few months, but there's a tease to find out there's what number tease. Claudio Clark Marquisio wore. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we in the industry call a tease. That's Pretty right. Good. That's right. And the payoff will be in three months. So I will throw it back to Sergio. Your thoughts on the on the on the week that was, seeing as Juventus coming off a few disappointing results, actually had two pretty good results. You know, it, it was fine. 
it was fun. I mean, it's fun to watch Juventus win. I, I, you know, I don't think that's a particularly controversial statement, but you know, it's, it's fun to watch them win. It's fun to go to watch them win, you know, coming come from behind kind of fighting, kind of clawing a little bit. There's been some, you know, I think statements by the faithful, you know, kind of like calling this season pretty much done, pretty much over. I might have been one of those faithful, but clearly the team is, I mean, you know, obviously they're not gonna, I, I, I think Calvin, shout out Calvin, posted, you know, one of the, one of his pieces about the comments from the manager. And it was like, we're not giving up. And then all the players are like, we're not giving up. And then of course they're going to say that they're not going to say like, Oh, well, we're just playing out this trick. Like, obviously they have to say that they're not giving up, but you know, it's, it's nice that they're at least putting out that sentiment and, and you can actually see it on the field. I mean, completely shorthanded with a bunch of dudes playing out of position and and you can definitely tell there's a little bit of that, you know, we, we overuse the term and it almost sounds like a cliche, but that there's definitely some grinta there. There's definitely some, you know, some, some definitely like they don't want this season to be over yet. And, and I like that obviously different circumstances, but you can definitely see the, the change of attitude from, you know, some of the Mauricio Sarriera games to what we're seeing right now, obviously different circumstances, but, but it, I, I, I like that fight from the team and I like that everyone's kind of pitching in and playing out of position and really sacrificing to get this, this results. And I, if I were to, you know, take something out of this couple of games that, that we saw recently, it was that it was, I enjoyed seeing that fighting spirit. I enjoy seeing that, that camaraderie that, you know, other players are stepping up as, as captains and they're doing it well. Like Alexandro was the captain. It's just, it's a lot of soft things, you know, a lot of esoteric things, if you want to call them that way. But I did enjoy that. I do like seeing that. And I do like seeing guys that were injured kind of come back and, and start getting minutes, right? Alvaro Morata was back. Maybe he doesn't have 90 minutes in his legs yet, but he came back and there was a big difference with him on the field than without him. So a couple positive points, more looking forward to that, you know, to the game that we'll probably get into later on, which is the Porto game, but also just as a team building type of thing. I, I thought that was a good bounce back performance. Whether or not that ends up mattering, you know, we'll see. But for it to matter, you have to win. You know, you have to you have to keep winning. So, all in all, good good week for Juventus. I uh, heartily echo that. Though, um, no, uh, you know, it's. It's funny, I, I think I've said this before. I think I said last week, potentially. But the way I just personally define the success of a manager is through uh, his ability to maximize the resources that he has at his disposal. And against, especially against Lazio, but as well against Spezia, but especially against Lazio, Pirlo had very, very few resources indeed. You know, And I think the fact that he, A, I mean, put, somewhat of a even functioning starting 11 together. I mean, you know, even put something together was already hugely, you know, hugely impressive given uh, injuries, uh, COVID, but mostly fatigue, which is understandable. It's been a gru- grueling season for everyone, you know, for everyone, for every team competing in uh, in three competitions, I guess, or, or in England for, but, you know, it's been a very, very, very tough season. And for him to be able to still, you know, with so few resources uh, against Lazio, 
to be able to put something even together and then get a win out of it. I mean, I was really, really, really impressive. And just, you know, the ability to adapt. I mean, I'm sure we've all he heard some kind of version of this saying, but, you know, uh, you don't really determine the person's ability or success, how they act during good times. You determine it by how they act during bad times, during challenging times. And this was an extremely challenging time with just all the injuries and just with the pressure of, I mean, every game is a final, you know, it's a cliche, obviously, but every game is a final and just that huge pressure. And it's again, his still his first season of managing ever. So um, yeah, well done to Pirlo and well done to the players for the ability to adapt. I mean, that said, look, it, the game against Lazio, the first half was, yeah, I mean, it was pretty bad. <laughs> you know, it was pretty bad, but still, you know, being able to steady the ship, for individuals stepping up, I mean, Rabio's excellent first goal. Chiesa, once again, you know, another assist, another really good performance. And of course, uh, you know, the man who's been struggling with health, health issues, stepping up with two goals, Alvaro Morata, two just massive, massive goals. Um, his first goal, I thought, was particularly impressive because, I mean, this might be kind of minutia, but you'll, you'll maybe notice when he received the ball from Chiesa, he... Uh, you know, he's running against Hoot, uh, Wesley Hoot, and his first touch, he kind of semi-threatens to go inside and semi-threatens to go on the outside. That just, like, that just forced Hoot to not quite commit. It gave him just that inch of space that was enough to be able to, you know, have enough space to uh, put that great shot away. I mean, again, that might be minutia, but I thought that was really, really impressive. Just that kind of half in, half out kind of movement. But uh, just a quick mention about the Spezia game. You know, that was a very poor game. That <laughs> was a really, uh, I mean, you know, a team that could be finish better than Spezia would have punished us, uh, definitely, uh, on, on the night anyway. And the 3-0 scoreline was pretty flattering. Um, but, you know, hey, we got the three points. And that is another mark of, you know, a good team, a professional team, to be able to win ugly and to be able to win when playing poorly and especially being able to win when you have very few resources at your disposal. So uh, all things considered, you know, satisfied uh, or well, happy really, but I'll take six out of six points. I don't know how flattering that Spezia scoreline was when you consider the fact that for all the possession that everyone was screaming that Spezia had, the only shot that they put on target the entire game was the penalty kick that Chesney saved at the very end. You know, they had possession. They didn't do anything with it. And that's a, you know, that's a big thing. What was very much deserved was the 3-1 against Lazio. I, I I was thinking of this the other, you know, the, the, the ESPN, you know, the world feed commentator on ESPN Plus saying, you know, after Correa scored that... That, that Lazio had had thoroughly deserved that lead, and they did. But by the end of the game, Juventus had thoroughly deserved the victory. And I don't know what, like I said in my in my recap, I don't know if it was if they got fired up by the no call on on the handball by Hope because I'm sorry, tangent here. The quality of Italian refereeing is zero. If if both if both the field referee and the var both decide that that is not a penalty kick then then they don't have any business doing this job i'm sorry that was about as blatant as it was the entire that you'll see all season 
but maybe that's what fired them up because that was really the turning point. That's when Lazio stopped looking as dangerous. And when Juve finally started to maybe get a little bit going and finally that, you know, that shot from Rabio, which my goodness, I actually, it actually took me about three seconds to realize that it was in the goal and that it hadn't hit the side netting. But th- this was, this was the kind of game that the the team that Juve the Juve teams that were the peak of the streak, you know, where you know the the you know the last Conte year, the first couple of Allegri years, that's the kind of game that they would win. It it re- it is really the kind of game that a champion wins, and it's the first time that we've seen that. Certainly, the first time under Pirlo. Maybe, you know, we didn't see it all that much when Saudi was around. So it's the first time in a long time that we've had a win like that. And I think it's really important. Also, you know, and this is something that I was thinking today too. We don't often think about the bottom end of the Champions League race because usually the Champions League is just a fait accompli over the last nine years. But that win dunked Lazio about nine points back, I believe now behind Juventus uh, and uh, because we were tied with Atalanta going in third and fourth. And that's a big, you know, that's a big deal to get a little, to get that clearance at the bottom end of, uh, of the, the run for the top four, because, you know, as it, it, to actually get to the top and, and chase down enter is going to take a, a, an immense confluence of events that are all very unlikely, but now the, 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 the lowest priority now has to be, or not lowest priority, the lowest, um, I, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the, the thing that, that we have to do now has to be make sure you're in the champions league next year, both just obviously for the prestige factor, also losing out on champions League money next year, given how COVID has hit this team in the pocketbook is going to be a really bad thing, but yeah, it's, it, it was a great win. It, it gave, and, and it, it sort of kind of started showing that, that spirit, that Juventus, you know, spirit that, you know, that the commentators always talk about whenever they fall behind, but that, you know, for the last 18 months or so, Juventus hasn't really displayed as much, even regardless of how much we talk about it. This was the first time, especially with newer guys to the team, like Chiesa, Danilo, they they were showing it. And, you know, it might be too this year, but if you let the project continue, then maybe we, then maybe next year, that is where we really see things get back on track. Yeah. Can I just jumping on that quickly from Sam? First of all, Sam, when I, uh, when I read your, I read your review and I could just feel the anger seething from you about that um, handball. Did, did, did I overdo it a little? I don't know. I mean, I could just, <laughs> I mean, I know you personally now and you know, I could just, yeah, I could just feel oh, it. Gosh. Like, I could just feel it. I would have um, been, <laughs> If it had been safe enough to go to the bar to watch that game with my club, I would have been flipping chairs. I was, <laughs> yeah, it was that funny. Would, like it there was... would have been like like there like that entire building would have just exploded from the anger of like all the Juventini in that room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it's all uh, it's all good fun. 
uh, one thing I did want to add to that, just kind of, uh, you alluded to, to it a little bit just now, but another kind of thought I had after the game was that, you know, we're obviously kind of looking, I mean, we're towards the tail end of the season now. So we're obviously starting to think ahead towards next season. And I mean, obviously everybody's saying, okay, will Pirlo stay? Will he, or will he get the opportunity to, uh, to continue as manager for Juventus, which I mean, I, barring any extraordinary events, I believe I'm pretty sure he will be, but you know, I've said this multiple times of just for a success for the season, just being something connected to like, do we have something that we can build off from this year into next year? You know, like, do we have a framework? Do we have an identity? Do we have an idea of what we're doing uh, both on the pitch and off the pitch, by the way, of just, you know, where is Juventus going in the future? And yeah, I mean, the more I see of the team, the more I see of how Pirlo handles uh, tactics and man management, uh, the selection, the starting 11, uh, the more and more I do see an idea and an identity and like just a stable direction. More than anything, just like a sense of, okay, we have an idea, we know what we're doing. It might not be perfect, nothing's perfect, but at least we all kind of are in the same uh, boat, on the same wavelength, we all know kind of, you know, management, uh, you know, Agnelli, uh, upper management, the players, we all seem to be kind of on the same wavelength of like where we're going and what we're doing. And just the spine of the team, you know, certain young players, as you mentioned, uh, Sam of, you know, likes of Chiesa, Kulusevsky still struggling, um, but, you know, I still have faith in him. But yeah, Chiesa and um, yeah, Kulusevsky, Artur, uh, Delich, just that spine of the team uh, being in place. So, you know, that is very optimistic or encouraging for me uh, to see that and really gives me a sense of like, okay, you know, it's a good chance we won't win the Scudetto this year or, or uh, what's it called Champions League. I mean, it's a good chance we'll only win the, was it the Supercopa, but you know, I have, I still have faith, but I'm um, at forget least. forget the Copa Italia, Chucks. Uh, Copa, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I knew that. I knew that. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We're actually gotta... in the final for that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah, 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 indeed. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> stay on the scene for that one. But after the, um, and I'm going to say it, uh, Danny, after the squeaky bum against uh, Lazio. You're, gonna, uh, you're actually going to make me edit. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. Don't challenge me. <laughs> Do not challenge me. <laughs> after, yeah, after that, I mean, I just, yeah, continue to see more, you know, of an idea, more of an identity. And that's, that's really good. I mean, I'm very happy to see that. I do have some other thoughts, but I don't want to ramble on too long because I don't want to, you know, hog the spotlight uh, for too long. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, we can we can kind of use it as a transition into Champions League stuff coming up on Tuesday. And it is good timing on his part, seeing as he's already got the Champions League reputation. But, you know, for, for everybody here, just how – I mean, we, we've seen it in the last two games when he came on against uh, Spezia and then obviously from the start and especially in the second half against Lazio just how different this team is, whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo is on the field, because obviously he wasn't against Lazio while they were making their comeback. 
but the difference that Alvaro Morata makes now compared to when it was just say Ronaldo and Dejan Kuzlowski, because now it seems like Morata's, I mean, you, you look at the numbers and he's, he's having a great season, even though he hasn't necessarily had, you know, the, the early season pace of in terms of goal score that he, that, you know, he didn't keep that up throughout the, the season, but just him really coming back with, authority after being sick for a couple of weeks now what uh what's it like knowing that you know it it, it may not just be Ronaldo that's going to have to carry this team on Tuesday against Porto I think we saw it and it's it's massive I mean honestly you know you, you look at the stats the 16 goals 10 assists it's you know I mean it's crazy it's Alvaro Morata's a decent player whenever he's not with Juventus and whenever he plays with Juventus he just you know something clicks for him I don't know what that is but something clicks for him and and we're seeing it right now and you know as good as as Cristiano Ronaldo is as you know good Dejan Kolosevsky could be one day but you know neither of them are actual pure strikers they're just not and despite that Ronaldo you know we all know that Ronaldo scores a lot but despite that, he just doesn't have the, the same skill set, the same abilities, the same capabilities of, you know, holding up play, of, of doing all the little things, all the dirty little work that Alvaro Morata is so good at. They just don't have a guy that can do that in the team when, when he's not on the lineup. So right now, what we're seeing is just the system that Pirlo wants to implement kind of requires a guy like that up front. And whenever he's not playing, you can definitely see that there's a there's a certain thing lacking there. So uh, to me, it was really, really important to see Morata back before the Porto game. I don't know if he has 19 minutes on his legs. Probably doesn't because, you know, he, you know, he had to be subbed off by uh, in the Lazio game, which was weird at the time because I was like, why are we starting Ronaldo for 20 minutes? Like, just give him a rest. But I'm, I'm guessing, you know, Morata still doesn't have, you know, quite quite enough in his legs to to be a 90-minute player. But if he can go against Porto and give them 70, 75 minutes, I like our chances a lot more than than without him. And I I, I mean I just I, I just continue to to feel very, very impressed by what he's been doing. And, and I was one of the biggest supporters of of him coming back, mostly because of you know nostalgic reasons and just because I like the guy. But not like I don't think even his biggest supporters could have foreseen such a season for him. I mean, he's clearly having the best season of his career, just, you know, numbers wise and the actual play on the field reflects it. So the fact that he's back, the fact that he's effective and that he's coming back to the champions league where he was the top scorer in the group stage. I mean, I think if, if Juventus does manage to, to progress through the round of 16, if we are, here in a, in a week's time talking about Juventus in the quarterfinals, I think Morata is going to be a big, big part of that. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, and especially when it comes to this Porto game on Tuesday, because Porto are, Porto are very vulnerable to wing play and crosses into the box. It's a weakness that they have. If you want, if you look at a couple of their, uh, their league games, they were, they've, give up those headed goals and in the first leg there just wasn't really a lot of a, a lot of ability to to try to press that weakness because with Kulusevsky up at the front 
I mean, you know, you can't really, the only target is Ronaldo and you can double him as much as you want. McKenny, you know, could go up a little bit as well, but you know, there, there wasn't a lot. And, you know, with, with Morata, his ability in the air to compliment Ronaldo in the air, that's a, that sudden, and also with Quadrado now on the, out on the right, which is another big return. Uh, hopefully the, the game on Saturday knocked some of the rust off because he, he looked it at, at, for those first, for the first 30 to 40 minutes of the game, he did not look good, but, and grew into it a little bit in the second half. So maybe we'll see what, what he can do there. But, you know, with, you know, if you, if Quadrado starts putting balls into the box for Morata and Ronaldo to, to go up and get that could turn into a really that that could turn into a bad situation for Porto pretty quickly. Also, you also have to take into account Artur too, because he's, he might, you know, that he might be coming back and, you know, you look at all these guys, they might, you know, whether or not they're going to be on a pitch count, whether or not Juventus is going to have to take care of business early, get the score margin they need, and then kind of let Porto, you know, hit, you know, and then park the bus themselves and let Porto chase the game, which there's not necessarily their game. It's, but Morata, but, you know, to, to circle back to Morata, Morata is huge. He is your linchpin. He will do those, that dirty work. He will suck in defenders to give Ronaldo more space, to give the midfield runners more space. And yeah, I, I, I think that the first leg would have been a lot different had he been available for that. And I think if you can get, like Sergio said, 70, 75 minutes. I think you can get yourself into the right position, take him off and, and let, and let the, and let the defense do its work. That, that I think is your best is, is your, your path to victory here. If you're looking to get through on set on Tuesday. Yeah. You guys have basically touched on most of the things I want to say regarding Morata. The only thing I'll add is that I think the benefit of having him in the side and, well, fully fit for 70, 75 minutes is that uh, it, it does allow Kulusevsky to, well, A, move into his natural position and B, uh, on the, so on the right wing, and B, also just to not have that pressure of being a central for, center, central striker uh, anymore, uh, because I don't really think that's worked out for him all that well. He's had a, yeah, and I think we'll, we'll probably talk about that in like an end of season review because, yeah, so far he's had a bit of a tipsy-turvy season. Kulusevsky uh, started out very brightly and it just has struggled a bit, but he's, he's hanging in there, you know, he's still working very hard and, you know, I, I just appreciate his professionalism and his, his work ethic, but I think that that's one of the biggest benefits to me is just that it, it eases that pressure off Kulusevsky, and which will hopefully, you know, help his form uh, a little bit or even just allow him to get a rest because uh, he too has played many, many, many minutes uh, in the last few weeks, I'd say. Well, Chuck, so I don't want to jump ahead too far, but as Sergio said, since we're in the nature of teasing things, we've got a few day on Kulusevsky questions from our Twitter friends. So, Ooh, la, la. you know, we don't, we might not have to wait until ah. the season, the <laughs> season in review pod. to talk. <laughs> Good things come to those who wait or just grab it <laughs> or wait about yeah. five or 10 minutes. I do think that the way how badly we have missed Morata over these last few weeks 
I think is a bit of an indictment on the front office for deciding against picking up that that center forward type player in the January transfer window who could back him up. I I think that I mean obviously like something like Gianluca Scamacca like that was going to be a lot of that was going to be a lot of money, lot, lot especially a lot of money for a January signing, probably more than they were willing to pay right at, right at that point. But I think they they you should have found something because not having somebody that can that can play that same skill set or something similar has shown to be a really big weakness for this team. It really is, you know, it, it really does show how, how huge having Morata in the team really is. And there has to be, you know, certainly by next season, there has to be somebody who can play if he's not available and do that same kind of role. Otherwise, if, you know, if Morata gets injured or if he gets sick again, because this, this kind of virus is the kind of thing that, that he got is the kind of thing that could turn a little bit chronic, you know, there needs to be somebody that can play that because like you said, Jackson, you know, Kulusevsky just can't do that right now. And I know they've got different skill sets and they're different kinds of strikers, but just not having that backup to Murata has been only magnified more, or, you know, however you want to describe it, by the fact that Paulo Dybala is still hurt. So there's just one less option for Perlo to go to. So that means that Kuluseski, no matter what kind of form he's in, he's had to play as a striker. And that's really the only other option Pirlo's had. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually think that, you know, as far as Kulusevsky goes, you know, I was looking actually at the, the transfers from last transfer window, and I was just surprised that, you know, half a year in or so, pretty much all of them were hits. You know, we're talking about Federico Chiesa, we're talking about Alvaro Morata and Weston McKinney. All those three dudes have been, you know, huge parts of the season. They've been pretty good. But the, the one thing that really did kind of jumped out was Kulusevsky because Kulusevsky, because it's so hard to judge him. Like at this point, he should not be starting as a striker and he should definitely not be starting every game, but he's the only guy there. And, and it's definitely kind of like a trial by fire, what we're seeing right now by Kulusevsky. And I don't, you know, it's, it's tough to say he's not performing. Yeah, but he has to play. He's tired. Like there's so many things that I would love to to see from him that I'm just not seeing, but at the same time, it's hard to really ask him to, to hold the line and lead the line when that's not his position, when he's never really played this many games this often. It's just, it's just tough. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of low key worried for him just because we've seen so many young talented dudes kind of like be put in this position and not thrive immediately and sometimes that kind of messes up with their development. And, you know, we all know he's super talented. You know, it's, I, I just hope that now that Morata is back, now that maybe Paulo Dybala's mystery injury, now he's supposed to be back in like a week or so. We were saying the same thing early February, but, you know, uh, maybe this time he's actually back and, and he can finally kind of catch a break and have a breath and, maybe start playing again some something more resembling to what he is good for good to, for what he is good for his actual position for his actual skill set and kind of you know come back to that early season Kulusevsky that we were seeing that was very 
you know, kind of like a very confident dude, just kind of, it was just a different player. And right now what we're seeing from him, he's, it's just not quite there. So seeing as we are talking about Daylon Kulusevsky, I'll say that we'll get to Twitter questions in a minute, but before that, just one, one general question for everybody here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump to the questions. How are we feeling entering obviously one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game of the season, knowing that Juventus need to win. They need to not only win, but flip the aggregate scoreline in their favor as well. And they're doing it, albeit with some players coming back. They're certainly not at full strength like they say were in the first leg when things didn't obviously go so well. Well, I mean, to me, football has always been a game of momentum. So for games like these, I always kind of try to gauge it by like, okay, how much momentum do we have going into the game? going into this game which well okay two victories obviously you know three nil and three one so that's i mean that's momentum right there but the manner of the victories was uh i mean up and down obviously again i mean i still i obviously you know took your point sam of like with spezia they only had one shot on target which was in you know 96 minute which was uh chesney's uh brilliant brilliant penalty uh save which was admittedly a terrible penalty <laughs> but you know i i personally wasn't uh, very satisfied with the with the way the spezia game was played up till up till the first goal so i was like 60th minute felt you know we played pretty poorly uh, but then won at 3-0 uh, and then obviously the lazio game which we've you know talked about at, le- at length you know pretty poor start and a very strong finish so yeah momentum going into the game i mean overall pretty pretty good and pretty high because the morale booster of a victory against Lazio and be a comeback victory against Lazio in those circumstances of all those injuries um, and Bonucci probably being fit and Artur being possibly kind of ish fit and Morata being fit enough for a while. Uh, I think that's a lot of, you know, those, those kind of boosters make me overall pretty confident um, just, yeah, taking into account momentum in, into Tuesday. Tuesday, I think, the game is, yeah. The confidence is flowing, Chucks. Cautiously, yes. Cautiously, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, think, I, I think the watchword for me is cautious optimism. I mean, when you talk about, you know, when you talk about momentum, we're all, you know, if you want to look at Porto, you know, they're coming off a week where they just got eliminated in the, uh, in the Portuguese Cup. And whereas Juve, you know, win against Spezia that was relatively comfortable and then you know a big come from behind win that against Lazio that really had to have been a big psychological boost you know and one that they didn't even need Ronaldo to come off the bench to save them for which I think is an even bigger psychological boost to see these guys be able to say you know we can do it without him if we need to I I think that there is, yeah, there's cautious optimism. You know, if we were going into a situation where there were fans in the stands, then I would be very optimistic because, you know, putting the, you know, the, the added layer of, uh, the, the added layer of the, J, of the J stadium in full champions league mode um, would have been a, would have been an entire different level, but still, cautiously optimistic that they can get what they need yeah i think it's all going to depend on on you know the guys coming back i mean 
if you can get 70 to 75 minutes, like we were saying, from Alvaro Morata, if you, you can get that from Leo Bonucci, if uh, Matthias De Ligt is back, I, which I, I think he should. I think that they only kept him out of the last year game out of a precaution to kind of like save him for, for this game. So if you can get those, you know, the Ligt and, and Bonucci back, Morata back, if you can get, you know, a, a decent showing from Arthur, you know, Adrian Rabiot, you know, we, we kind of didn't really talk about him that much uh, when we were talking about the Lazio game, but he was spectacular. Like he was really good. He was legitimately the only uh, central midfielder in, on the team when the game started and he was pretty good. Like, I think he's getting into, into a rhythm. I think he's playing pretty good. If you can somehow, you know, Weston McKinney also, like if you can get good minutes out of those guys, there's a completely different team than the one that went to, you know, to, to Portugal and then played that first like game. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the optimistic of the bunch. So I really want them to win. I really hope they win. If they get good performances from those guys, I really don't, don't see a reason why they shouldn't especially because if they don't if they go out in the round of 16 yet again you know it, it's going to be tough number one for the finances of, of them of the team because as we all know you know the further they progress in the champions league they kind of reap more more of, of the you know monetary benefits and especially with the other italian teams that kind of look not so great in their own ties you know that's a bigger share of the money for juventus but also, just because if you lose that game, you know, you're kind of just sitting there and hoping that Inter start, you know, starts becoming frauds again and, and losing games and dropping points because you kind of don't really have much to play until the Coppa Italia final. So just out of a, you know, sense of, you know, selfish, if you want to call it that way, but I kind of want to keep being interested in the season. So not that I necessarily think that Juventus will challenge for the Champions League, but I, I, I would like to see them, you know, go as far as they can. And, and I do believe that this team is good enough. Like it's better than a round of 16 exit. I really do think so. I think they've just had pretty bad luck. So if, if you can get those guys back and they can give you good performances, I'm, I'm fairly confident that they should, should make it to the, to the quarterfinals this year. By the way, are we still called... The Allianz Stadium. I, I genuinely, genuinely keep forgetting. It's like... Come in and correct them, Sam. I know this is your I, deal. You, you are not allowed to use corporate sponsorship names in UEFA competition. I mean, really? <laughs> so I... And because <laughs> I never... Pro- and so protect... And so it is officially for UEFA purposes known as the Juventus Stadium still. And uh, because I never really liked the the naming rights deal because I was really I really liked calling it the J Stadium. I take full advantage of that and I call it the J Stadium during the Champions League whenever I can. Man, cash really rules everything around me, yo. Like like when Dortmund when Dortmund play in, in UEFA competition, it is the Westfalden Stadion. It is not Signal Aduna Park. Like that sort of that that you you see that all over the place. Same with same uh, with Bayern. Same with all the other ones. That seems unnecessary. Yeah, dollar dollar bill. I'm telling you, man. Telling you. <laughs> yeah, y'all should, like, it's like y'all should focus yeah. on paying your damn taxes instead of like corporate sponsorship. For <laughs> like, man. like, come on, man. Anyway, I should. Was that a subtle dig at Joseph Bartomeo, or was uh, that? Uh... I, guess, I guess all y'all top one percent. 
anyway, yeah, feel free to edit that out. <laughs> oh, no, I almost, uh, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> now we know it stands, but uh... <laughs> I digress. I digress. I digress. All right, we've got three different Dayan Kulusevsky Twitter questions. So I'm going to throw a Dayan Kulusevsky Twitter question to each one of you. So first, for Chucks from at Tom from Philly, what is up with Kulusevsky? Oh, you're too kind. You gave me the easiest one. <laughs> too kind. I was like, oh my God. I was going to be like, what is wrong with Pythagoras theorem and Dejan Kulusevsky's EMC squared? I was like, God, I don't know. 43. Um, but um, no, what's up with Kulusevsky? I think it's a, a combination of things. I think, first of all, we do have to remember he has been played out of position for essentially. I mean, 30%, 40% of the season. So uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty significant. Uh, he's a new player, of course, new system. Some players adapt extraordinarily quickly. McKenney, Chiesa, uh, and some need a bit extra time, which, you know, that's fine. That's understandable. Once again, I think he's been just professional. He's, he's worked hard. I mean, I haven't seen any kind of like, oh man, he, he, you know, he looks like he doesn't care kind of thing. No, I mean, I've seen just a good mentality and just good work ethic in him. Um, yeah, so I think the main thing being played out of position uh, in just a, I mean, difficult role. I mean, next to Ronaldo, a central forward. I, I mean, I don't think he's ever played in that type of position. So uh, very difficult and just played a lot of minutes, of course, as well. And yeah, for the rest, you know, I think, who was it? That, it might have been you, Sam, very early in the season. You said that, I don't know. I don't know if it's you, someone else, but anyway, someone said uh, something along the lines of like Kulusevsky is a very like counterattacking oriented player. And, you know, we, I mean, I mean, bits and pieces have been kind of counterattacking at some time and not really, but Pirlo wants to play that front foot, like, you know, uh, taking the initiative type of play. So uh, that might be a thing as well. That is just that different style of play that has been difficult for him to, uh, to adapt to so yeah i mean tactics position and yeah minutes really i just knew new kid on the block syndrome it was me ah, <laughs> ah. it was a <laughs> go claim your throne well you you mentioned the counter-attacking style chucks and that's i mean it is why he was so successful at parma last season is because yeah that's yeah. how they played yeah and i mean it's convenient that juventus also played Lazio because you look back at to one of Kulusevsky's best games it was the game in Rome against Lazio where he was really playing in a more natural wide position on the right and he was just bombing forward on the counterattack all the freaking time with Murata so yeah no that definitely definitely agree with you there so next one we will throw it to Sam from David McFarland of our sister blog that writes about Inter at David D underscore MC. Do you think Kulusevsky can revert to how he was playing at Parma, even in a different system? Even if it's not this season, can he still be a fundamental part of Juve's attack one day? And obviously, since he's an Inter fan, there are very, there's very much a interest in Kulusevsky being good in the future. I certainly do think he can. I mean, his, you know, Sergio said it before. I've said it multiple times. His talent is obvious. He 
he needs an enormous amount of polish. I mean, you have to remember, aside from all the other stuff about him, you know, not, you know, being played out of position, about having to, you know, learn, you know, a new skill set in terms of possession football. He's also 20 years old, and this is only his second year playing in top flight competition, playing above the academy level. So, you know, he's, he, he, I, I do think he is a diamond. I think he is a very rough diamond, and he needs to be, you know, he needs to be cut and polished. And I, you know, I think that, I think that the, the main two things, first, obviously, like you were saying, Chucks, he needs to learn how to play in possession you know, working those, you know, passing lanes, passing angles, uh, when they're not just bombing forward, like, like he was in the Lazio game, which was like you said, Danny, one of his better games. I also think, um, and, and stop me if you've heard this one before from a, from certain Juventus forwards, uh, he needs a right foot. (laughs) um he he is so incredibly left foot heavy um sorry to interrupt but no no one agitates me more with that than dibala i that just absolutely but dibala has but dibala has over the years gotten better with his off foot and you have seen it i mean he's not brilliant with it by any stretch of the imagination but he will use it and that's what that is one of the problems i think that kulusevsky has had especially because he tends to line up on the right end of that front two whereas ronaldo is on the left end because ronaldo likes being on that side to cut in you know, that that's a rough place for a left footed guy to be unless he's kind of making unless he's making his own cut in from the right. And th- there have been a lot of times where he's been sent through into the box, into the channel, and he's got a, 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 a he's got a moment for a right footed shot and he hesitates and he pulls on it and he takes an extra touch and then he's ends up out of the play because he's just doesn't have any faith in that right foot to, to take the shot quick. He either tries to get, he either tries to get it onto his left foot or he takes it with his right a half second too late. So I think, you know, that's the other thing he really needs to work on is to, to at least make the right foot functional. And then I think a lot of his problems will also start clearing up. All right, Sergio, you ready for your day on question? Yeah, sure. I've been, you know, holding my breath. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. From friend of the pod, David Desberg, at the true ROAC, do you fear that Dayan Kulusevsky becomes a sort of Bernadeschi 2.0 where someone else plays in his natural position, in this case, Costa and Chiesa, in years past and this season, obviously? He gets shoehorned somewhere else, center attacking mid or as a striker, and loses confidence as a result of poor play. How should he fit on this roster with the revelation of Federico Chiesa? Yes, friend of the pod nails it. Yes, exactly. That's, that, <laughs> I, I honestly, and and I noticed it more on the Spezia game, not so much in the Lazio game, but more in the Spezia game. You, there were at least two or three chances where he received the ball. He had a through pass on the you know outer outer edges of the box or, or he had a, a moment to shoot and it has a lot to do with what Sam was saying that he's very dependent on his left but even so it, it's one of those chances that you just that I can guarantee you that early season Kulusevsky that Kulusevsky that we saw start that 
first game against Sampdoria, who scored the first goal of the season, that would have just pulled the trigger immediately on those shots. And now, and in, in both, there were two or three moments that, that were just like that in this Betty game. And instead of that, he kind of like tries to dribble, he t- tries to get the best shot possible, and he misses the chance, he misses the window, you know, the, the, the play, you know, goes to hell. And he had a, another moment like that against Lazio where he kind of like pulls it all the way instead of like doing something. And then it ends up being a backheel to Chiesa and then Chiesa is the one who pulls the trigger on the shot. Like he looks, he just doesn't look confident right now. And it, it I don't, it, it, I know it has a lot to do with the fact that he's being played out of position. He's gassed out, like he's playing all the time. He hasn't had a moment to, to catch his breath. But you can tell he's frustrated. You can tell like he's struggling out there. Confidence-wise, he's just not there. And it, it, you know, obviously it's way too early to make the, you know, the, you know, like, like, like he said, the Bernardeschi 2.0 comparison. But I do fear that, you know, this kid, like Sam said, is his second season. He's struggling to adapt. He's being played out of position. Just mentally, that can't be great for you. So you know, it's still not a moment where you're really thinking like, did we screw up his whole career? Of course not. But it, it, there's definitely a mental side right now that you could just see on the pitch that he's just not quite there. Like he, he just not the same player that started the season. And obviously that's, you know, I think there was a, a moment in the, you know, I think there was a debate going in the comments that, you know, people were cutting him too much like, like, oh, he's 20. Well, like Kylian Mbappe is like, what he was doing when he was 17 and Haaland and Messi and Ronaldo and all these dudes who were like 20 already and they were killing it. Yeah, I get that. But, you know, not everyone kind of has that same development. And, you know, maybe he is the type of guy that needs a little bit more time. He needs a little bit more confidence. He needs to actually play in his position to bounce back. I hope that he gets that opportunity. I would really hate for him to continue to be shoehorned in a position that he's just not like it's not quite his position maybe he learns to play it you know with more time with an off season who knows but at this point he's just not really working there and and yeah I mean just to kind of like wrap it up yes it is a bit concerning I you know way too early to say anything he's still supremely talented I just really really want him to to be put in the best position for him to succeed and right now he's he's just not being put in that position and by the way, it's funny, you know, you guys mentioned um, he's 20 years old. Man, Kulusevsky looks like a grown man. Dude. <laughs> like, I forget that, man. Brother looks, brother looks grown. Man. Well, he, he definitely he's, puts he's the sport. large and large adult son for me. <laughs> he's along the same lines as Delict in that way, isn't he, Chuck? Where he just doesn't. Yeah, I don't know what kids are getting fed these days, man. Back in my day, we, we just had beans and milk. Now, what, what, are, what are they feeding them in Holland and Sweden there, Chuck? <laughs> You're, you're more familiar with that neck of the woods than we are. I know lots of potatoes and <laughs> bland food. Just for legit. I mean, just bland food like that. Potatoes and milk. According, and, according and to stuff. an expert on Swedish cuisine that I heard. That sounds about right. And the, the Swedish chef, everybody. That Sam will make that a regular regular occurrence on the podcast here going forward. <laughs> Swedish chef. All right. Uh, we will wrap things up on this Twitter question then from at S Cortese89. Do you think the 442 and 443 as well offers a little 
offers too little dynamism. I'll take that one first. Uh, I don't really know. I, I think the thing with formations is, uh, you know, there's a danger of becoming too obsessed with numbers and 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 forma and yeah formations and stuff. I remember Allegri actually had a very heated interview about that once against, I believe it was after the Inter game. Uh, yeah, because I wrote about it in my book. I remember. But anyway, he you know kind of had a rant about that. But I think formations are really just it's the execution of the formation really that 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 matters really not necessarily the formation itself. For example, I mean with a four four two you could. Uh, one of the central midfielders, you could have a version of the 4-4-2 where one of the central midfielders drops into the defensive line, like in possession, drops into the defensive line, and then the fullbacks push up and then becomes a, what is it, 3-5-2, three, uh, three, essentially. Um, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, 3-5-2, yeah. So, you know, that, that's pretty dynamic, or it could just be a flat 4-4-2. Or, you know, it could be a 4-4-2 where one of the strikers kind of, you know, becomes a segunda punta and, you know, uh, or, or segunda punta slash trequartista. Um, you know, so there, I think there are just very many ways in which you can play a formation. So I don't think it's down to the formation itself. I think it's more down to how it's executed and the players that are put there uh, to execute that. And same story with a 4-3-3, um, any formation, basically. I, I, it actually, this was actually something that that was getting on my nerves during the Spezia game, which was that the, you know, the the guy on the the world feed that ESPN Plus is broadcasting, you know, British guy, keeps on referring to the four four two that didn't have dynamism, didn't have any pace on one side, and I'm sitting here going, you 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 realize like you're looking at the way the formation shifts and changes when Juventus is in possession, right? Like. Like, which is it, it's something that you know, I don't expect observers of British football to really grok because oh, that's not exactly shots their shots, lane. Shots fired, that's not exactly their lane. But no, I, th I think that with when the team properly does morph into that three five two setup that he that Pirlo likes to have when it is, um when he is in possession, I think that, especially when you have guys like Chiesa and Quadrado on the wings, uh, that does give you that kind of dynamism. And I think it, it's all about that kind of morphing formation that, that Pirlo does, that, that Pirlo does employ three, five, two in attack four, four, two in defense. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, what I do think is that, the midfield in general still needs, you know, those guys that like make, make the runs that a healthy Weston McKenney will make into, into the box on a, on a regular basis. And to, to really kind of cap that off. I think that's the, the last, the last thing that is really needed is that little bit more in the midfield that we just don't have right now because of absences and, and for, and fitness. Yeah, and just to very quickly add to that too, um, you know, our four four two or whenever we play it slash whenever you know it's sort of morphing into the three five two and all that. But yeah, our four four two is very different from like an Atletico de Madrid four four two, you know, and it that just it's just the execution of these um, uh, formations are just different uh, across teams. And uh, for example, you know, four three three as well, you can play uh, you can play that formation with inverted wingers, and that means that you know they're coming inside so that makes it 
pretty narrow, uh, pretty narrow formation. So it, it really just depends on how it's executed and then players uh, put in place for that. A quick tangent. Uh, I know we're about to wrap up, Danny, but um, can I tell my story? Um, Go ahead. Fun, story time, yeah, everybody. Fun story. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was walking to the club, yeah, and I saw this cool cat called uh, <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> going to a club in a pandemic, Chuck. Yeah. Come on. No. I was just thinking of the Charlie Murphy uh, true Hollywood story. Don't don't go stomping on anybody's couch now, Chuck. With your muddy cool with your muddy boot. And I saw Rick James in the corner. I was like, "Hey, Rick." <laughs> uh, rest in peace, of course, Charlie Murphy. Brilliant. That that was just oh man, that was so so good that episode. But um, no, I was um, I was just yeah. I mean, I was out yesterday. Um, I mean, it wasn't just kind of low key uh, with my girlfriend and um, two friends of hers. And uh, well, her one of her friends and then one of my uh, colleagues. And um, yeah, we were at this uh, just a small club or just a small bar in uh, Columbus. And you know, my girlfriend went out to smoke real quick, and then she came she came back in and she like you know pulls me back, and I'm and I'm like, yo, what's up? You know? And she's like, yeah, come out, come out. There's this guy from Colombia. I'm like, oh, that's exciting, guy from Colombia. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I love her dearly, so you know, I go out there and. Yeah, talk to this cut. Talk to this guy, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, I work for uh, Telemundo uh, uh, Columbus," you know. And he's like, "Yeah, I've played football for. Uh, I played for like over a decade. Uh, I played for University of Akron, and he played briefly. Um, I don't think he made the World Cup selection, but he played briefly for the Colombian national team. And he played. He said he knew, like, yeah, I know um, Rene Iguita, uh, Car Carlos Valderrama." Um, Asprija, like, I was like, so the, oh. the glory, glory days, of yeah, yeah, for real. Like, and he was just out there, just sitting there, like, having a beer, just like, you know, out on the, you know, just, yeah, sitting, just hanging out, having a beer. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend just, I mean, she always talks to people and, like, just chats, you know, chats to people. And, uh, yeah, she was just like, hold on, let me grab my boyfriend. And, but yeah, just had a great conversation, just fascinating. I mean, he was in the US just during the formation of MLS. Um, he was here during the 94 World Cup, visited a lot of, you know, a lot of the stadiums, was pretty involved just in the founding of like uh, Columbus Crew, uh, which is the club here at MLS Club here. He says, yeah, he works now for Telemundo uh, in Columbus. He was in Brazil for the 2010 World Cup, cover covering the World Cup, uh, 24, oh, sorry, Brazil. Um, South Africa, 2010, and then that, uh, that, Brazil, 2014. Seeing as we're, in, we're you got a couple of Italy fans here, that World Cup didn't happen. <laughs> yes, of course. That's, I yeah, forget. No. <laughs> I forget. Uh, but yeah, no, he was. Uh, yeah, he covered that. Um, and yeah, it was just a fascinating, fascinating conversation. Uh, Luis Orozco is his name. Um, I don't think he quite made the World Cup team for Colombia. I forget. I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff and just uh, you know caught up and just you know. He remembered the uh, Andres Escobar death uh, after that own goal. And yeah, it was just really, really fascinating. He had this great story about um, he was in, I forget, it was like in a coach. They were driving to a game or something or to a practice or something. I think it was anyway with the general public. And it might have been in Colombia, I forget. But there was a lady that was basically in labor. And they were, uh, they were asking like the team, like, hey, uh, you know, like you guys have to get off because like you know there's liability if we take her to 
or like if you guys stay on a bus to take her to the hospital or something like that or if you guys volunteer and they're like we don't care like we're gonna like you know sue us if you want to like if something happens like we're taking this lady to the hospital you know and then yeah she had a baby you know she had a child and you know that yeah that went well it was just fascinating just you know just those stories you know just football stories and just you know you never know who you run into so uh, yeah i thought i just wanted to share that and it was uh yeah really a uh, wonderful guy and uh you know did, happy notes to end on did you tell him that you're a juventus fan and that there's a certain colombian on juventus's roster i did i did <laughs> I, I told him i'm a juventus fan. i gave him my um I gave him my website and my book information. Sorry, shame of the self-promotion, but um, I gave him uh, that information. And uh, yeah, who knows if he reaches out? I hope, but if not, you know, hey, it was a fun conversation. So uh, yeah, shout out to Luis. Awesome. Well, uh, on that note, we'll wrap things up here. Before we do the plugs, shout out to the Juventus women's team who absolutely crushed AC Milan for nothing earlier, earlier today. Uh, just basically putting them on track to win another Scudetto. They're now six points clear Milan, who's in second place. One of their best games of the season, and they uh, thoroughly deserved it. So we were talking about Juventus deserving a win over Lazio. Well, the Juve women definitely deserved a win over Milan earlier today. Congrats to them. Oh, They're- sorry. Another shout out real quick. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I was reading the comments uh, yesterday on the on one of the game, I think the post game thread and just congratulations to all the uh, users who, um, yeah, got children recently. I read that there were yes. a bunch of users saying that, you know, they, their wives and, you know, partners had just given birth. So uh, congratulations the, to everyone. Uh, yes. Children. The, the flurry of quarantine babies has begun. Yeah. Hey man, you gotta get some. Man. You gotta get some. <laughs> it means that in, in in 13 years time we will have a bunch of quarantines running around oh, with all oh, these juventini oh, that oh, seem to be <laughs> if you want to send us twitter questions you can send them to at juventus nation on twitter follow us on there as well we are also on facebook at black and white and red all over if you want to listen to us on itunes or apple podcasts search black and white and red all over as well same goes for spotify and google podcasts if you do listen to us on apple podcasts please feel free to leave us a a rating and a review that would be very kind and uh, maybe maybe if we get a a review or two we can read them on next week's show for uh for the crew here of sam sergio and chucks this is danny saying thank you very much for listening and since it worked last week hopefully we come to you guys next week in a in a good mood because you know Talk about Juventus when we're in a good mood. It sounds sounds better. So uh, talk to you guys next week. Uh, stay safe out there. And uh, yeah, catch you guys next week.